Hello, I'm glad you're with us today, and happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Some families really enjoy playing board games, and they play them a lot. And in my experience, when we're playing board games as a family, the ugly side of us can come out for sure. Some in the family are competitive, and it becomes more than just a game to them. They're trying to prove their self-worth. Others in the family are just along for the ride. They're just trying to enjoy the time, and maybe the competitive folks get upset because they're not trying and engaging, and then they get crushed by the competitive, and that doesn't feel good. So often there are meltdowns from the littles and possibly everybody involved, the adults as well, because We're not winning or there's frustration because of all the games going on. The game's behind as the game is being played. This parallels how games are often a part of family relationship dynamics. Every family establishes a pattern of relating that falls along a spectrum of unhealthy to healthy. And... God has given us much help in Scripture for families to see the core issues that are involved in the family dynamics and to help us move toward healthier, more enjoyable experiences in family life. That's God's goal for us. He wants us to enjoy life. So the goal of this series is to look at God's guideline for growing healthy families. When families have unhealthy dynamics today, they're called a dysfunctional family. And for sure, all families have a certain amount of dysfunction. No family is perfect. And so I want to start this message and the whole series by looking at the root of unhealthy family dynamics according to Scripture. God has laid it out for us clearly. In my opinion, the the Bible offers the only viable explanation for why we experience frustration in life. The first couple, it says in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, The first couple rebelled against God, and they were found out by him. They they didn't obey, they disobeyed, and of course they were found out. You cannot sneak around on God. He sees all that's going on. And the consequences of their rebellion, which is called sin, were frustration in marriage relationships and in work. You see this in Genesis 3, 16 through 18. God is speaking here. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to, the, and to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Frustration in families and in life itself, in our work, flows out of this decision. It's a part of our life today because the first man and woman, the first couple, decided to go their own way and try to live life independent without God, without his guidance, without his help. God has a reason for these consequences, and I'm going to explain those in a few minutes. Uh, but that's reality, and I think we can all say amen to that. That's the reality that I experience as I flow, go through life. So this is the root of unhealthy family dynamics, and we all experience unhealthy family dynamics to some degree. I want to turn and talk about how family dynamics work. In biology, homeostasis is the state of steady internal, physical, and chemical conditions maintained by living systems. Body temperature is an example of homeostasis. 98.6 degrees is considered healthy. And anything above 98.6, or too far below, I would imagine, is problematic. And we know that by experience. When you get a fever, it, it doesn't feel good. You get shaky and things go wrong. Well, like an AC system, which is another possibility of homeostasis, families have a set point or a temperature at which they operate. It could be very cold, which is disengaged, or it could be very hot, which is angry. At the extremes, that's what you see. Disengaged, cold, hot, angry, volatile. When someone in the family system tries to change the temperature in the family and step outside of the normal way of relating, they often get chastised or worse for it. The goal of the family system becomes maintaining the temperature set by the family. It's the family thermostat. It's set at a certain temperature. And if you go outside the norm of how that family relates, you can get chastised. This is called the feedback loop. The way family dynamics work, the feedback loop for relationships in the family keeps bringing us back to the setting of the family thermostat, whether it's set at 50 degrees or 80 degrees. It's, we just keep coming back to that. That's called the feedback loop. This reminds me of the board game, sorry. Um, in this game, if if another player lands where your game piece is located, on the square where your game piece is located, you go back to start. That is incredibly frustrating. When I was young, I had plenty of meltdowns because I was I was a crybaby basically. Um 
when I was forced to go back to start, <laughs> I got frustrated. I threw a fit sometimes. And I've seen many kids and, and even adults do the same thing. It's incredibly frustrating to keep going back to start. And that's what you experience in the loop, the feedback loop of the family. You keep going back to this unhealthy place sometimes when you could keep moving forward. It's it's frustrating. In, in families, it's even more frustrating when you're trying to change and relate to others in the family in a healthy way. It's easy to lose heart because it seems like things are never going to change. They're just not going to. And it's like starting all over again and again and again, and the feedback loop kicks in, and it keeps you pinned down to relating in line with the healthy with the unhealthy family dynamics, with the norm of them. And that that doesn't feel good. It it hurts. It's frustrating. You are forced to either relate hot or cold based on the setting of the family thermostat, or you pay. God wants to show us the way out of this never-ending loop. He wants to help us to find the way out of our frustration. In fact, God wired the frustration into our relationships so that we would turn to him for help. That's that's why God gave the consequences out that he did. He wasn't trying to punish us for no reason, but he was hoping that the frustration would turn us back to him so that we could seek him and seek his help and find him in the process. I know that often this is what draws people to God, the frustrations. Life isn't working. And they go to him and he graciously accepts us when we turn to him. And he graciously helps us figure out how to to do better in life and how to have healthier family dynamics. So I'd like to turn now and look at God's help for healthy family dynamics. I've asked Nathan Lewis, Dr. Nathan Lewis, a longtime member of our congregation. He's been a member of our congregation for more than 30 years. I've asked him to share his definition of healthy families with us. Nathan is director of the graduate program in counseling ministry at California Baptist University. He has well over 30 years of experience in trying to help families grow and develop and move toward being fully functional. And I've benefited greatly from his counsel for leading my own family and parenting my own kids. And so, I've asked Nathan, if he would, to define the word healthy for us because it could mean any number of things in our world today. And so, Nathan, would you speak to us? So we need to define the word healthy um, because of what Randy said. It's just used in so many different ways that it's almost meaningless. And particularly as it relates to the family, 
when we talk about a healthy family, we're really talking about a, a relational environment, a, kind of a culture that, that the members of the family experience as they relate to each other. So a healthy family is a family where members are relating to each other in a way that it, it fosters the right kind of growth in the family members and the strengthening of the family. And if if they re- relate uh, rightly with each other, then that creates the right kind of environment for the right things to happen. So it, it's it's used as a metaphor, but it, uh, that that really is specifically about how we relate to each other. And the other thing, the other metaphor that helps with that is just the environment. So I I grew up in in Orange County, and before they began to clean the air. We actually had smog days where uh, the air got so bad, the air quality got so bad, we couldn't breathe. And, I mean, I had just trouble breathing. And they would cancel school based on smog days. And families are just like that. There, there's an environment. There's the air that we breathe relationally that's either healthy or it's not healthy. It either fosters growth or it impedes growth. According to the Bible, godly relating is healthy. That's what the Bible describes as healthy. Godly, which is God-referenced relating. That's healthy. You you think about how God wants you to relate and what God wants you to do in your attitude and approach toward relationships. And and you do that. That's that's godly. That's God-referenced. Unhealthy relationships and dynamics are not godly. God in his word reveals the way out of damaging dynamics. It shows us God's word, the Bible. It shows us what godliness looks like in relationships. And God speaks to his word as we get into it, as we read it, as we study it, as we hear it taught. God speaks to us through his word, and he leads us away from ungodliness if we obey it and follow his lead on the way out. The accepted definition of a dysfunctional family is that that family cannot handle the everyday stresses of life. Chaos ensues when it's really stressful in these families. And if we learn to read, listen, study God's word as it's taught and allow God to change us through his word. In other words, we turn around and we obey him. We give up our sinful patterns and we turn to God's healthy patterns. We grow strong in handling the stresses of life. This is the way it works. So the major help the Lord provides is the Bible itself, and he speaks to us through it. It's not just the Bible, but he'll help us himself. He will He will help us through his spirit to apply the scripture and, and speak to us through it. And so God's word is the solid foundation for family life. Here's how Jesus said to build 
your house is what he called it. It's a metaphor for life itself and for families. Therefore, and this is what he says in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Why would you do that? The rain came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus compares families, lives, houses. He, he uses the metaphor. He compares those who can handle the stresses of life and those who can't. And he says, if you hear my words and you put them into practice, you do them, you're going to be able to withstand the storms of life, the stresses of life, because your family, your life is going to be built on a solid foundation. If you hear the words of Jesus, the word of God, but you don't put it into practice, your house is built on sand and it's going to crash in the midst of the storm. As trouble comes, and uh, which it does for everybody, as trouble comes, chaos ensues. Things go haywire, and they're, they're really a mess. So I want to encourage you, first of all, to allow God's word to be the foundation of your family life. When you build on that foundation, the foundation of God's word, your family can handle the stresses of life. It, 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 can, it can bear up against the storms. If you build your life on God's word, you can stay strong in the storms. And that is a beautiful thing. So I want to encourage you, begin to read, study, and listen to the Bible being taught in order to put it into practice. This is what God wants. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what strengthens you. And I found this to be an incredible, helpful way that God grows me. And it's been very helpful in my family life. Often, as I get into Scripture for myself, God speaks to me, and what he says often is, hey, you need to change this attitude. You need to change this pattern. You need to change this these words. You need to stop saying those kinds of things. And as I change, as I obey, I'm blessed, and my family is blessed. Or I hear a sermon that convicts me of a wrong I've done to someone in the family, and I go to them and I make it right. At the point God speaks to me, I have a choice to make. Either obey or not obey. Obedience, though, is the path, path of, to blessing. For me to be a blessing to my family 
and for me to experience God's blessing in my life. Jesus says that a strong foundation for families grows from hearing his words and putting them into practice. And this is as parents, as people, really, we, we need to make a habit of hearing God's word and putting it into practice. With the foundation of the home established, I'd like to talk about the right temperature for the home. And what you see is it's God's love that sets the right temperature. Jesus has a core characteristic for all of his followers, and it's love. That's the core characteristic. Everything flows out of love for God and love for others, love for people. And he commanded his first disciples to love. And therefore, all of us followers are commanded to to love with the same kind of love he has. And Jesus spells love sacrifice, S-A-C-R-I-F-I-C-E, sacrifice. That's how Jesus spells love. John 13, 34, and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When he gave this command, it was the Thursday night before Jesus died. And we know that he sacrificed his own life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he did that the following day. So in, in the moment he gave this command, Jesus did something else that was very instructive in, in terms of understanding the love that we're commanded to live out as followers of Christ. He washed the disciples' feet. Now, this was a practice of a common servant in the first century, to wash the dirty feet of the people who entered the home. And Jesus did this because he looked around and nobody else was going to meet this need. None of his followers, apparently. And so he stepped up to do it. And he sent a message loud and clear by doing that, by washing his disciples' feet. Here's the message. My followers respond to the needs they see around them and take initiative to meet them out of love. That's my definition of love. This is what Jesus commanded us to do, to love like this. God's love is called agape love in the Greek that this passage was originally written in. And agape love is defined as doing what's best for someone regardless of how you feel. So you do the best. This is a unique kind of love that you have to draw from God to do. I mean, there's 
we need a source. We need a well to go to for that kind of love. We need help to get past ourselves. But if this kind of love sets the temperature in our home, that's a, a home where kids can thrive, where the whole family can grow and develop as we walk through life together. Here's what I think is the best and most practical definition of that kind of love. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Selfish ambition in this passage in the in the Greek that it was originally written in, it translates a word, self-seeking rivalry. Dictionary.com says that selfish ambition is being devoted to caring only for oneself, concerned with one's own interests, benefits, welfare, etc., regardless of others. That's the exact opposite of God's kind of love, which is doing what's best for others, regardless of how you feel. It's so easy to feel justified in pursuing our interests at the expense of others. Proverbs says that that kind of folly, that to get what we want, is bound up in children, and that's part of the the job of parents is to help them begin to look to others' interests as well. But often it makes sense to us to to block or undercut what others want to get what we want. We don't even notice what they want or their goals, concerns, and interests in the matter. But we just go for it. We get this from our first grandparents, the first man and woman. We're descendants of the first couple who rebelled against God, which is the root of our frustrations in relationships as we saw. They rebelled, and every one of us put our stamp of approval on their decision to rebel. This means that we start out in, as we start out as me first people, and we live in a me first world. This is what makes sense to native human beings. We need God's help to get past ourselves. At CIV, we practice what we call the heart attitudes. In fact, they're a part of what we commit to as we become members of the church. They are godly patterns of relating that we commit to living out as we relate to one another in the church family. Heart attitude number one is from this passage. Put the goals and interests of others above my own. That's what, and we would say within scriptural limits, you don't ignore your own goals and interests, but you look to, as you take care of your own interests, you, and you're faithful to do that, you look to the interests of others and you try to make that, uh, Make, you try to serve them as, as you see their needs and, and interests as well. We aim for this pattern 
to set the temperature in relationships in the church family. And if they do, and we've experienced this over the last 33, almost 34 years, we have unity toward our mission as we work together toward our mission in church life. As we learn to relate this way in church life, I think God designs it so that it should spill over into the way we relate in the home. I mean, of course, we need to relate this way both in the church family and our family, our immediate family and extended family and to everyone, really. But... To the extent that we're able to do this, hard attitude, family dynamics grow healthier over time. <laughs> Church family dynamics, which can be wacky, um, and immediate family dynamics, they grow healthier as we practice the hard attitude, put the goals of in and could put the goals and interests of others above yourself. Parents, I want to encourage you, aim to set a godly temperature in your home. It starts with sacrificial love and looking to the interests of other, other people, the people in your family, the people around you. Set the pace in that. For your kids to grow and change, you must change the family dynamic where it's unhealthy. And it starts with you. You're, if you're a parent, you're responsible for the temperature, the thermostat, where it's set. And I want to encourage you. Do what pleases God. Be godly in the way you relate. In terms of referencing God and ask him for help and he will give you the help. Get into the scripture and, and see what he says. If you haven't yet committed your life to follow Christ, I hope this message gives you a sense of where he's going to lead you. If you commit to following him, the frustration in your immediate or extended family relationships or with friends or at work with coworkers they're meant to draw you to Christ, to draw you to the Lord God himself, and to seek his help for that. I want to encourage you, seek the Lord and ask him to help you develop healthy relationships. And as I wrap up, I want to encourage you, like I always do, to take some next steps of obedience. Maybe God's been speaking to you through the message, and I want to encourage you, in response to what we've read and what I've been talking about and hearing God's word, the Bible, what steps do you need to take? What has God laid on your heart? Here are some suggestions that I have for you. My next step today is to, for the first time, I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior and committing to follow him as Lord or boss. If you have questions about committing your life, I want to encourage you to check the box. Contact me about meeting up to clarify my commitment to Christ. And another step, a second step, would be 
to let God's word set the temperature in family, in my family relationships and friendships. So God wants to help. And he's given us the scripture to help us figure out what's going on. And he speaks to it, to us through it. And so I want to encourage you. Take one of these steps today. Maybe there's another step. Maybe your step is to get into the scripture and let God speak to you and, and begin to try to ask him to help you figure out how to make progress in developing healthier family dynamics. But whatever it is, take the step of obedience and God will open up to you a new way of living as you do. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your kindness, your goodness, your grace. You are so gracious, Lord. None of us are perfect. In fact, we're far from it. But you have poured out your love on the cross, Lord Jesus. And you, you've made a way for us to, to know you and be reconciled to God. And I praise you, Lord God Almighty, for that. And I ask you to give us the strength and the power to take the steps that you want us to take so that we could please you and honor you and live a more godly, God-referenced life. Give us the power for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.